Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's incredibly special episode of the County Cricket Podcast is none other than legendary BBC Radio Lancashire commentator and all-round legends of the county circuits, Mr. Scott Reid. So, Scott, first things first, mate, thank you ever so much for joining me here on the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure to get you on for a chat about all things county cricket and, and cricket broadcasting. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Well, it's going to get better, really. Uh, thank you for the big build-up. That that was um, that was some that was some going. Um, it can only get better, really, because I've been out for a walk with a dog and got absolutely drenched. So I'm kind of hoping that um, the rest of the day is drier and with less kind of drama than my horrendous dog walk. Yeah, sounds like a, a wet and probably blustery start to the day then, Scott, up in the the north of England. Goodness me, it doesn't really feel like August, does it? Doesn't yeah. feel like the height of summer. No, it doesn't. No, I think we had one. We had a decent day the other the, the other night at uh, Old Trafford for the game against Leicestershire. That was quite dry, <laughs> but the last the last few weeks have been pretty shocking, haven't they? But I think the forecast, at least for um, the rest of this week, looks okay. I think so. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, indeed, because yeah, the Metro Bank One Day Cup group stages are, are coming to a conclusion, aren't they? And it's just been a wonderful tournament. And, and Scott, before I get into the the main segments of today's episode, which will, of course, detail your journey in the world of, of sports broadcasting. Just a few words on the Metro Bank One Day Cup, because I think it's safe to say that large waves of the country have been caught up by Metro Bank fever. I mean, what have you made of the competition so far this summer? Because even though a lot of players are missing and we don't have the, the big overseas names that we would have seen in years gone by, the competition has still been very captivating for us as cricket fans, hasn't it? It has. I love Metrobank fever. I'm completely absorbed with Metrobank fever. I wasn't aware that there was a fever going around until um, the Lancashire-Kent match uh, in Stanley Park in Blackpool when our colleague from BBC Kent, Ben Watts, said, do you have Metrobank fever? And I hadn't had it until that very moment. And as soon as he mentioned it, I was completely taken over by the fever. So, yeah, it's been it's been excellent. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I've enjoyed the One Day Cup in the last couple of years for Probably the same reasons that you and most of the people listening will have done is that it is a competition which gives a great chance for younger players to to feature. And there's a nice little mixture between senior pros and younger players. Um, Lancashire play quite a lot at outgrounds, which I think adds to it. I love that that the crowds have been good. Um, so yeah, I've, 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 I was new to the to the fever. I wasn't feeling the fever. Now I'm completely taken over by it. Yeah, same with me, to be honest, Scott. I'm the exact same, and I'm glad you mentioned the fact that it did start in Kent. I think that is where the, the term originates, if I'm not mistaken, through their social media department and, of course, Ben Watts, the commentator. I mean, goodness me, Metro Bank fever just sweeping the nation in the summer of 2023. And as you said, that is why I love the competition. It's that blend of youth and experience, isn't it? And in terms of Lancashire, they've got some great young players, haven't they, with the likes of Tom Aspinwall, you've got the likes of Josh Boyden, got the likes of Matthew Hirsch, George Lavelle coming up through the ranks. And George Bell is having quite the season, isn't he? So some very exciting times for the Red Rose it is. It is, yeah. And I think for these uh, lads, they probably knew that this month would be their chance, I think, in the in the first 11. Or at least will give them the best opportunity to play in, in first 11 cricket because of the, you know, the fact that, obviously, some guys have left for the 100. So it's created opportunities. But it's, it is 
good to see. It really is. It's what the bedrock of the game is about. It doesn't matter how big the county is, it doesn't matter how many overseas signings they make, how many times they go to different counties and nick their players. It's about producing your own as well. And that is fundamental to the game. It's one of the, the pivotal roles of county cricket clubs is to produce players. So to, to, to see some of these have the opportunity to come into the first team and, and play well uh, and take their chance. And Bell's a great example because he got his chance in the competition last year. He, he made his um, first-class debut in the one-day cup, then made his T20 debut last year, and then made his first-class debut last year, and now he's part of the first team. So um, he's a, a wonderful example that if, if you get given your opportunity and you take it and you're good enough, even if it's just the, in, in this Metro Bank competition, you think, well, actually, it might be going under the radar a little bit. Obviously, those that have not quite got the fever, and I don't understand why you wouldn't have the fever. But if you didn't have it, then it may be, may be overlooking this competition a bit. But for these players, like Bell last year, shows that it can kind of force, force the captain, force the coaching staff to say, you know what, this guy's good enough. We'll, we'll pick him on a regular basis. So, yeah, that's been brilliant to see the last, last couple of years. It really has, and George Bell, what a talent. I mean, goodness me, there is a reason why we've, we've both mentioned him. Every shot in the book, great keeper, good character as well. So, yeah, if you're a Lancashire fan, keep a close eye on his progression and his development in many years to come. But just talking of the Lancs Academy, Scott, before we get into your cricket broadcasting journey and your love of this incredible sport, just a few words on the Lancashire Academy, because I've posed this question so many times on the podcast, but why do you think Lancashire have got such a strong academy set up because I've had the likes of Callum Parkinson on the podcast before, Josh Bohannon, who played in the same team alongside the likes of Haseba Mead, obviously Matt Parkinson as well, and Sakiba Mood in the mix as well. Lancs have produced so many incredible players over the course of these past few years, let alone the past decades, in which they've been dominant in particular in one-day cricket. So why do you think Lancashire, in comparison to other clubs, just produce this vast wealth of incredibly talented academy players. Well, I guess that the, the 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 setup there is is there to succeed, isn't it? Because you've got a a, a big structure. You've got a big county that has a, quite a far reach across the the northwest, not just Lancashire, but going across the Merseyside to Cheshire, and now it's kind of dangling its little tentacles towards Cumbria because it's got relationships with Sebda School now that perhaps they weren't there previously. Um, and then if you, you've got all this age group cricket, you've got um, you've got a pathway that's that's been well established, that's been in place for a long time, and clearly it is it is successful. And when you've got players that are coming in at that younger age and get onto that pathway, uh, that, that are brought to the club uh, from different parts of the region because they've they've been identified or they've been originally part of the of the of the academy. If you've got a good structure in place, good pathways in place, coaches in place to assess and to, to progress players, eventually you're going to get these lads coming, and indeed now girls, coming to the top of their, of their game and being given a chance in the, in, in the first team. And that's replicated both men's and women's cricket. The, the Thunder team is another great example of players who've been with the academy now for quite some time, who have progressed through, this, through the different age groups and are playing first team, first team cricket. So... I think that it, 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 it's all about the structure, I think. It's all about having the right people in the right places. It, that obviously costs money. But like it should generate good revenue streams and they can reinvest that and right down the kind of food chain going down to, 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 to through the age group. So I think that the whole setup there is, is 
geared to success. It should be successful, to be honest with you, Aaron. I think actually the bigger question would be why, if they weren't producing players, why not? They should be producing players because of, of everything that's in place. And, and so it's working and has done for, for quite some time now. Well, that's an excellent point. And to be honest, Scott, I'm glad you mentioned as well the women's cricket because so many incredible female players have come from that region as well. You think of Sophie Eccleston, the best bowler on the entire planet right now. Obviously, you've got the likes of Emma Lamb. She's coming into the England fold as well. Kate Cross, who again, just a legend up in those parts. And then you've got the likes of Ellie Threckeld coming through as well. Lancashire is just such a fantastic critting hotbed and it's great to see. So that's why I just wanted to bring up that question. It's something which... I do have this almost fascination with the fact that year in, year out, Lancashire just seems to produce these incredibly talented cricketers. And yeah, as you said, long may it continue, because if you're a Lancashire fan, yeah, it's quite good, isn't it, to see them reap the rewards of, of all of the hard work and all this success which comes from it. So yeah, just wanted to, to bring that up to kickstart the podcast. But Scott, Lancashire aside, we'll probably pick up our conversation about the Red Rose at some point later on I've absolutely no doubt about that whatsoever but before we get into that conversation in a bit more detail I wanted to take it all the way back to the origins of your cricket story so not even broadcasting but just cricket as a game what were your first ever memories of this incredible sport is there a particular match a particular moment a particular highlight which you can look back on and think you know that almost stoked the fires of Scott Reed's cricket story? <laughs> Probably two that stand out. Aside, I mean, in terms of watching as a, um, a kid, probably two moments stand out. Was actually watching Lancashire play at Blackpool. I went with my brother and my dad. I, I, I can't tell you how old I was. Maybe kind of 10, something like that. And we watched a one-day game being played at, at Blackpool and Neil Fairbrother was playing. And he was smoking it all around Stanley Park in a one-day match. And... Um, I have memories of that particular fixture, of that particular sound of the, of him crunching it to different parts of the ground that, that was um, quite mesmerising, really. And Fairbrother as a player was an absolute joy to watch, wasn't he? I mean, he was kind of a little bit, perhaps, before his time in the way he batted in one-day cricket. So that that's a memory, watching Lancashire play at Stanley Park. And the other was, was going to watch Lancashire play Yorkshire. Um, and Wazi Matram was playing. And again, that was with my dad and my brother, um, and we watched um, uh, Wazim bowling at the absolute speed of light. I'd have to go through the scorecard. I, I've got memories of him taking like nine for or something ridiculous, you know, for about three runs. He probably wasn't anywhere near that, but it felt like some, something extraordinary was happening. He was bowling at the speed of light. His wickets were flying, flying all over the place. Uh, and then that was utterly mesmerising. So I think as a, as a kid growing up, those two were kind of standout moments that got me introduced to the idea of the sport um, and eventually got me kind of playing it um, with with my brother, uh, which we did pretty much every time we could spend some time together. The weather was dry um, on my mum um, and dad's uh, driveway with a bin for wickets and an orange wind ball. Um, and, and that was it. I, I never got a chance to bat. My brother always batted. So I had to, I had to, my brother's older than me, so he was in charge. So I, I, I was constantly bowling, um, but that was fine. Loved it. And I used to try and come steaming in and try and replicate uh, Wazi Makram. I wasn't, wasn't quite up to his level. But that, they would be my, my kind of like early memories watching the game and then kind of playing it for the first time with my brother would, would be at weekends or when we finished school um, on, the, on the driveway. Well, I'll tell you what, Scott, it's a lovely route into the game, isn't it? 
that family setting as well is so important. And obviously your brother hogging the bats by the sounds of it, but he did ultimately help stoke the the fire inside of this love of the game. And this is such a big question to ask so early on, the, on in the podcast, but you mentioned the legendary Wazim Akram, who is one of the finest to ever do it and one of Lancashire's greatest ever custodians. Is he Lancashire's greatest ever overseas player, or at least the best that you've seen? <laughs> I mean, it's a big question, but what, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I don't, the answer is I think that's d- depend on who you ask and when, when they watch the game. Um, because I think if you were to ask um, people that watched Lancashire play uh, 30 years before Wazim was, was playing, then they'll come up with a different answer. So I think it's entirely a generational thing, isn't it? What, what, I don't... He would, he would. I'm sure he would be in the list, quite a small list of Lancashire's all-time best overseas players. Yes, I'm sure he would make that list. But whether he would top it, I think, would depend on whether or not you you were watching him live at the time, whether the, he was your first introduction to the game, or whether um, you, you were a, you were fortunate to be able to watch Clive Lloyd back. You know what I mean? It depends on who you who you ask. I think, and depends on the person's age and and what they're related to. But they've had some magnificent um, uh, overseas players, and yeah, I, I think he's probably probably on a probably on a pretty short list. Well, I would tend to agree, even though I never got to see him play for Lanks. You just look back on footage of him, and goodness me, that guy was just a wizard, wasn't he? The way in which he could reverse swing the ball back into the stumps, just send them splattering all over the place. It's magical, isn't it? Bowling, the speed of light, getting the ball talking, getting the ball moving about all over the place. What a great player to have almost as an idol in those formative years, Scott. And just touching upon that point, who do you say in those early days, aside from your family influences, so you've mentioned your dad, you mentioned your brother as well, but who do you say in the world of professional crickets? Were your cricket idols? Would Wazim Akram be one of them? Or was it someone else who really caught the imagination in those early years, first day? It was someone else. So yeah, what Wazim was Wazim was 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 like a, a very very early early memory, um, but I, as I said to you, I never I, ne- I was never allowed to bat. My brother always batted, so I had to bowl. So I used to emulate bowlers, and I used I picked a really really sexy bowler. Angus Fraser was one of the people I used to look at, and I used to try and mimic his run because he had that kind of slightly curved run, didn't he, with a slightly angular approach. I used to try and mim- mimic his run up. And I was used to try and mimic his bowling action. So I've gone from watching Wazim as a player to watching the magnificent Angus Fraser, who I tried to emulate when I was when I was younger. So he, I think Fraser, that particular era for English cricket was what I kind of was when I was um, kind of most impressionable, probably early teens, that type of age. Um, so the likes of Fraser, Goff probably kind of um, as well in that in that ilk. But that that type of that 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 year that era of English cricket was was when I was first kind of introduced and looked at role models and I tried to replicate the likes of Angus Fraser pretty poorly. It's a great shout to be fair. As you said, a very smooth action, wasn't it? From <laughs> Angus Fraser, a legend down in Middlesex. And you mentioned Darren Goff. Every time people mention Darren Goff, I just think of him sticking his tongue out and you know, his <laughs> delivery every well, single Go- time. Goff is one of my early kind of. Uh, I might be jumping down the line a bit, but Goff was one of my early kind of uh, introductions into broadcasting, really, because I remember listening to TMS and to Goff's hat-trick in the Ashes, um, where my dad had bought me a little radio 
because I, you know, I wanted to 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 to, to stay up and watch the cricket, but wasn't allowed. But it's like you can listen to it because you'll end up falling asleep anyway. But you can look, t- take it and you can listen to it in bed. So I used to I, I listened to the to, to so much Test match special when I was growing up, and I remember hearing, or at least I've, it's one against one of those where you look back maybe with kind of slightly rose tinted glasses. You think you, maybe you remember things that you don't actually remember. But I'm I, I've got I've got certainly a relatively strong recollection of being able to of hearing at least half awake, half asleep, hearing Goff's hat trick. Um, in that ashes, well, that would have been in the late 1990s, wasn't it? 98, like maybe. So, yeah, I've got, I've got, I've got memories of that. Again, that, that's because it's that era of English, of English cricket, and it's kind of my introduction, really, to the sport. And then, lastly, in that, in that occasion, my introduction to, to, to radio. Well, let's touch upon that in a bit more detail, Scott, because this is the main focus of the podcast, and that is, of course, the world of sports broadcasting, because it's a fascinating field and. I think so many people, when they grow up and watch sport, almost become the commentator in their own living room or in their own bedroom, don't they? Everybody does that. Or when you're playing a game of FIFA or Brian Lara cricket, whatever you're doing, you commentate over the action. And I wanted to know, really, what was the first moments where where broadcasting really captured your imagination? Would it be that hat-trick or was there something prior to that? Where does your your love of broadcasting in the world of sports really come from? You see, when I answer this, this this question, I do feel like a bit of a fraud because I, it's never been when I was a kid growing up. I, I I never thought I want to be a commentator, sports commentator. That never really entered my mind at all. I used to listen to the radio all the time when I was a kid, but I never had a desire to be on it particularly. But I would listen to cricket commentary and I would listen to um, Burnley matches on the radio. When I was at my, my dad's house at the weekend, we would have it on all the time and I would sit and listen to every single moment of it. So that I had a real strong connection as a kid to, to radio because that's where I got my live sport from. That's where I, I, I was able to keep across listening to cricket and listening to football in the winter. But at never at any stage did I think, I want to be on it, I want to commentate never entered my mind. And even when I was uh, gone through uh, school and into sixth, started sixth form, it was never something that I thought I would want to do. And I, ju- I just kind of fell into it, really. I fell into it um, because there was a, a, a radio station set up uh, in Burnley, where I'm from and where I lived at the time. And they were looking for a, a football commentator to come to, to cover the, their matches in the winter. And that was just in my first year I think at sixth form or maybe into my second year of sixth form and um my dad said why don't you apply for it um because you're paying to go and watch the games you can go you can go and watch them for free so I thought well you know it's why not I I, I, I don't really know what drew me to doing it it wasn't certainly the idea of trying to watch it for now you know I wasn't I wasn't really that bothered about saving that much money but I did. I went for it. I applied for this, this, this to enter this competition to c- cover Burnley on the radio. Anyway, I won the competition, and that was the start of of my kind of my career, if you want to call it, in 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 in, in radio. And it, it came via that. It didn't come by any sense of desire as a boy to try and pick up a mic and commentate, even though I had the radio with me whenever Burnley were playing, or whether uh, whenever there was live cricket in the summer. We didn't have satellite television for for for, for some time um so that 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 was a, a never present in my childhood listening to live sport on the radio 
but never did I want to go on it. So yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of an unusual perhaps route into the into the um, into the world of radio for me. Well, yeah, it's a, a very unorthodox route into the world of broadcasting, Scott. But isn't it funny how life works out and the fact that these moments do crop up in your life and when you take them, your journey goes on a completely different path. So even though it is unorthodox, it's an incredibly interesting route into the world of sports broadcasting. And in terms of your dad's reaction, I just wanted to to know about this because you mentioned this on a podcast you did with the BBC, funnily enough, because your dad is a massive Burnley fan. One of the reasons why you support the club, but... How did he react when you got home and you told him that you're going to be commentating on Burnley FC? He said, can you get two tickets for every home match and I'll come <laughs> and sit with you? That's exactly what he That's the very first thing he said. So, <laughs> to which I said, I have no idea, you know, give me a chance. I'm not, I'm not even started yet. Um, but I couldn't drive at the time. So, I, I had to uh, either get lifts from him if he was if he happened to go to the same game, or I would go on supporters' co- coaches. So, I'd go with the fans. Um, I've got a million and one stories I could tell about the, about those early days. It's, uh, it's completely chaotic. As you could imagine, working for a little independent radio station that had only just set up, and I'm 17 and I'm trying to, um, trying to cover a, a trying to uh, cover of a, a, a sport when I can't drive and I'm having to try and get co- uh, fans coaches to, to and from away games it was complete it, it was completely chaotic really at times but my yeah my, my dad's first reaction was um was, can you get can you get two tickets it, my, my dad is quite he's he, he doesn't really get that excited I mean I could say I've won the lottery and be like all oh, right oh, blah, 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 lovely so no he, he doesn't really get that excited one way one way or the other I think he's he's made to work listen to the Burnley matches I do during the during the winter because they're all Burnley fans and they're all they're all like oh that's your lad on the radio and he's like yeah, 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 yeah. so yeah he's quite he's quite <laughs> he's quite nonplussed about it really apart from trying to get the odd freebie which nowadays I don't think you can do um, before you could occasionally get him into uh, into games and give him a little freebie uh, press pass you can't really do that now unfortunately no unfortunately you can't but again what an achievement at such a young age seventeen years old and you get to cover the sports and the the team that you love. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, does it? And in terms of those early days in broadcasting, did you have a set broadcasting style or did you have other commentators of the broadcasters that you tried to emulate per se? How did a young Scott Reid go about setting up and actually commentating? I don't know. Games of Burnley? I don't. I, I'd actually be, I'd, I'd hate to listen back. It's probably absolutely horrific. The, the those uh, those early days, it probably is quite quite shambolic. I mean, I was I, w- I was obviously really passionate about the team winning, so I've got absolutely no doubt that that came across. So I was probably quite happy when they scored, and pretty miserable when the opposition scored. So I'm sure that 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 was pretty evident at the time. Um, I didn't um, I didn't have any feedback whatsoever. So I, I've never done it before in my life. And I, I did the first couple of games and the, the boss of the station was utterly clueless about football, really. So he didn't know anything about it. And he's like, oh, I think it sounds all right. You know, just you did it. You were there. You mentioned the score. So, yeah, well done. So I had no I had no kind of um, feedback. It wasn't until I got to the BBC, which was like, probably six, six, five or six years later, when I, after I first started, that I actually got proper feedback and a bit of coaching and a bit of um, a bit of people actually analysing what you do and, and how, how you can improve it. So I went into it utterly uh, w- without any sense of what I was doing or how to do it. 
um, apart from uh, listening to um, commentators on the TV and on the radio um, and thinking, well, but I, again, I was only a kid. So you, you think, I don't think I even thought about trying to oh, the, make notes and this is how I should do it because that's how they do it. I think I just had an idea of what it perhaps should sound like and I just did my best to try and do it. I really didn't kind of overthink it at the, at, at, at the time. But yeah, I reckon if I was to find some archive from when it when I first started, I think I would probably want the ground to swallow me up. Everyone's like that though, aren't they? When you first start on <laughs> anything because it is raw, it is unpolished, but... Then again, from from small proceedings come big things, don't they? You know, that's how everything works in life. You have to start somewhere, don't you? You have to start somewhere on your journey. And at the start, everyone sounds awful. Nobody comes in sounding incredibly polished, incredibly professional. But it's all part and parcel of your journey, of your path into the world of broadcasting. And you mentioned that transition into your role at the BBC, Scott. How did that opportunity first manifest itself? How did that that opportunity, that chance to work with the BBC first materialised, per se? Well, the sports editor at the time, who's no longer the sports editor now, but he was uh, when I started, um, I think was getting a little bit upset that we were actually doing quite well. The, the, because we were an entirely local radio station, we could sing and dance and be so biased about the football club we on the Saturday when we at first we didn't have any commentary right, so I was just doing updates and kind of off-air commentary. So they had recordings of the goals, um, but then we got a commentary deal with the club, a three-year commentary deal with the club, where we could do every game home and away, and we got we had really good listening figures. And I think it's because it, what it was, it was such a you know it was so biased towards the club and lots of people in the town. It was a new station that had just launched and. Oh, you can listen to every game, and there's Burnley fans doing it, and it's uh, and it seemed to kind of get a little, it seemed to pick up a bit, and we had really good listening figures. Um, and I remember the sports editor at Radio Lancashire at the time saying, "I'm not happy that you've you've got all these listening listening figures on a Saturday." Um, um, but well done, and I've heard I've heard what you do, so um, I, I'm, I'm quite I'm quite interested in offering you a job. Um, and that that's how it started. He he, he kind of in a in the press room at Turf Moor, he pulled me to one side and said, there's an opportunity coming up on my, on my sports team uh, in the next uh, month or two. It's a six-month deal, uh, and I'd, I, I, I want you to have it. Uh, you have to go through the process of, of, of applying for it and that type of thing, but I, I think it'd be perfect for it. Um, and I, It was quite a big decision because I still at that time, to be honest with you, I still at that time didn't really think this was a proper job. I still thought, I'm going to have to, like, you know, get a job at some point and do it, you know, do, do something. And my dad's like, oh, my dad's an engineer. My dad's still thinking I should do like an apprenticeship for Rolls Royce. I'm like, well, I'm not so sure. I don't know, maybe I should do this radio thing. He's like, oh, no, no, do something proper with your life. Stop wasting your time commentating on football matches. Ridiculous. Unless you can get me in for free and then carry on. So uh, he, at this point, I still wasn't entirely certain um, that this is what I should be doing. Anyway, so it was quite a big decision to accept this six-month deal to work uh, at Radio Lancashire, and then I quickly became it became apparent to me that I'd gone from like messing about in a little independent local radio station and not really taking it seriously to to, to actually having a proper job where I did actually have to do something. So um, yeah, it was a I, I, I took his advice. I, I applied for the six-month uh, contract and I got it, and then I've been there ever since. 
Again, it's funny how life works out, isn't it? I bet you weren't expecting that when you're working those Burnley games <laughs> and getting those supporters, coaches. Goodness me, Scott. That is some journey into the BBC then. And in terms of the, the pathway into cricket then, because we focus primarily on your coverage of Burnley there, when did you first do a Lancashire game? How did that route into the game of cricket first materialise, per se? Well, that that came still at, at the little independent radio station in Burnley. So they employed me to do games in the winter. And then in the summer, I said, well, you've got no, you've got no summer sport coverage. You've got nothing. You just kind of do... F- Burnley and that's it. I said, why Why don't you do some uh, Lancashire games? And we didn't have any, have a clue whether we even had the rights to do it or what. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I don't know if we did, but we did it anyway. So we, they said, he said, yeah, great idea, the station box. He said, I can't possibly send you to every single game, but maybe we can pick some, uh, some T20 games, we could pick some one-day games and maybe send you to the odd day of a, a four-day championship match. Um, I said, that's great. So that's what we did. We kind of, um, uh, when we first muted this idea, the first summer, we got the fixtures out, the Lancashire fixtures out, and we picked some games that we, that we could we, we could do. They weren't commentary games. There was no way a, a radio, a, a commercial station is going to do a commentary of a four-day championship match, you know, or, or even do a commentary of a T20 game. They didn't do that. But they were happy for me to do reports into their um, output. So um, we did that. We identified some games. It wasn't just games at Old Trafford. I remember going to uh, Headingley. I remember going to, down to Trent Bridge. I went to Edgebaston. I went up to Durham. So it, it wasn't just the, the home games. They sent me to, uh, I think they were more T20 matches, those, those grounds. They sent me away to different grounds. And where it fit the schedule, we did some, we did some cricket matches. And that, that, that started with me being at the commercial station. Um, and I don't want to jump the gun. You might, we might come to it. But then obviously I was able to carry it on when I, when I, when I left and joined the BBC. Well, yeah, let's pick up on that conversation with the BBC then, because to be honest, Scott, I didn't know that, that you actually started at that independent radio station in Burnley. It's incredible, isn't it? The fact that that was where everything started. And we keep on alluding to it as the independent radio station, but what was it actually called? Okay, well, it's not there anymore. It's been taken over. It was called 2BR. So it, it, right. was, it was, and it stood for Two Burrows Radio. So it was the the, the Burrows of Burnley and Pendle. And it's a tiny little radio station. I mean, Albeit our Saturday afternoon listening figures on football were through the roof. But it was a small little radio station, um, um, which is, I don't, it's not there. It's been bought out and then bought out out again. It's now part of a bigger group. And that's just kind of the way that I think a lot of commercial stations have gone. But it was truly independent. It was set up by a a guy who lived in Burnley. He was a big radio fan. I'm still friends with him now. I still still know him now. Um, Him and and some of his other mates, set up this little station, um, got a license, got sponsors, uh, got advertisers, and it launched. And that's that's that was 2BR. When will that been? 1999 or 2000, maybe something like that, is when the station launched. Um, and uh, I was one of its first employers because it wanted a commentator for that very first season covering, covering Burnley. Crikey, again, that is absolutely remarkable, isn't it? The fact that... <laughs> Pretty much from nowhere, all of a sudden, there's this brand new station. It catches fire with those Saturday afternoon listening figures with Burnley. And then all these years later, I mean, you've done Test Match Special. Not to jump the gun myself, but it is, it's a remarkable story, isn't it? Let's face it, as to where you were and where you are now. It is just remarkable, this thing that we call life. And talking to the BBC, I had to ask this, Scott, but in terms of your first ever match commentating for BBC Radio Lancashire, 
for Lancashire County Cricket Club. What can you remember about that day? Because, again, that's your boyhood club. And you get to emulate the greats of broadcasting who have had the opportunity, that honour, to represent and cover that most prestigious of cricket organisations. So what was that like to to step onto the mic, I suppose, and actually cover a Lancashire County Cricket Club match? I was terrified, to be honest, because of what you just said. Because of the, the who would so the guy that was covering it, the, 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 they've always had a cricket reporter for us going back donkey's years. Um, so and and been some you know, Andy Peebles and John Gwynn were two iconic names that have covered Lancashire, kind of real big dominating figures and characters. Um, and at the time. Um, it was a guy called Martin Hindlin. It was right at the end of his season covering Lancashire and just before Chris Malaband was, was about to take the, the reign of the of the Lancashire cricket reporter, commentator for BBC Radio Lancashire. And when I first got to the BBC, I said to the sports editor, I'm really, I'm quite keen on doing cricket as well. I did cricket for 2PR as well as doing football. I'd like to keep my eye in with cricket in the summer is any way I can try and help. Uh, and he said, of course, yeah, he said, I'll send you to some games and you can help Martin to begin with and then Chris, who replaced him. Um, and I remember being s- sat in the old commentary boxes was before the media centre was built. It was when the pitch was the other way around. And the commentary boxes, let um, me get this right, were at the Stretford end of the ground. Um, the press box in the old Red Row suite was at the Warwick Road end of the ground, now where the Brian Statham way is. And I remember sitting down in one of these commentary boxes, and Martin's lovely, and Chris is lovely, and I've, and but I, I sat down and I thought, I'm not sure if I actually can do this. This is actually, and then I listened to Martin, who was like brilliant, and he said, I think it was, I think it was a one day match, and he said, right, and for the next 15 overs or whatever it was, um, it's going to be Scott Reid, and I had an absolute stinker. I was absolutely dreadful. I was all over the place. I, I. I think I got it. I think I got pretty much everything wrong. Score wrong, bowler wrong, batter wrong. I got the whole lot. I just had a, I just really struggled, and I thought I'm, I'm completely out of my depth here. I, I, I should never have suggested me doing this. I should have stayed well clear of it. Um, anyway, that after that pretty ropey start, I, I, I stuck at it, and I spoke to Martin to, and and to some of the uh, summarizers who were who were working with me, and they said, Stay, you know, be fine. Don't worry about it too much. Go again. Um, you just just relax and do what you normally do. Describe what you see, and it'll all be fine. Anyway, he did obviously got a little bit better as it went on. But yeah, I do remember sitting down for the very first time um, and thinking, N- "I think I made a terrible mistake. <laughs> I should have gone to the apprenticeship as my as my father suggested and done a proper job." Um, but thankfully, um, it improved. I think it's, it certainly has, Scott. Let me tell you that you are a massive figure in county cricket now. I mean, we'll probably discuss this towards the end of the podcast, but a voice synonymous with county cricket. I think a lot of people would agree in particular up in the Northwest. And it's interesting you mention almost that feeling of of making a terrible mistake in those early, those early years, even not just early months, but early years of working at BBC Radio Lancashire and covering Lancashire County Cricket Club. Did you have that feeling of imposter syndrome? Because to be honest, that's something I felt this year. We're doing the Bears T20 stuff. You know, I'm sat alongside guys like Will Rhodes, who's the Warwickshire captain. Guys like Josh Poison, again, he's won trophies with Warwickshire. Oliver Hannan-Dorby. You're sat next to these great cricketers who obviously know the game inside out. And I'm just some fella from Warwick who chats nonsense about county cricket. Did you ever have that feeling, that imposter syndrome in those early years, per se? 
Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I still get that a little bit now. I still, honestly, I do, especially if I'm doing um, big international matches with Test Match Special. I get, and you look at some of the people you're working with, but I'm not not to the extent as I did at the time, um, and I've learned now that you know I'm I, they're there because they that they played the game and they're professionals and 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 they it's their opinion that you want and you, you, my job is to describe it and it's their opinion and it's, the, and it's their job to analyze it and give opinions on it. That's how I try try to view it largely. But definitely at the time, yeah, I, I did feel like um, I was a little bit out of my depth because because there were there were. There were people who had done it for a long time. There were ex-pros in the commentary box. Um, cricket can sometimes be a difficult place to go into, I think. I think sometimes it, maybe it's one of its challenges a little bit now. It can be a little bit elitist, a little. Um, and I, I felt, I think, at the time that maybe this wasn't, wasn't right. But I, I was really lucky that I had, um, when I first started covering it for the BBC, covering Lancashire for the BBC, that I had... As I said, Chris, Chris, and Martin in particular, that were really generous, and um, they'd not played the game, but they were professional broadcasters, and they'd done it for a long time, and they were able to kind of guide me a little bit. But I, I can definitely relate to what you're saying, Aaron, about how how you look around you in the commentary box and think, "What am I doing here?" Type thing, you know. But then again, as you've just mentioned there, Scott, you're there for a reason. It's because you have your own profession, don't you? As the broadcaster, your job is to describe the action and. I suppose the, the former pros or current pros, depending on who's in the comms box with you, are the main focus for the majority of the fans. But you've also got your job to do. And there's a reason why you're in that comms box in the first place. It's because you're good at that job. And just touching upon that that concept, I suppose, you mentioned about a, a rough start to your time covering lengths. But was there one game in those early years, Scott? where things almost switched and you thought, you know what, I belong in this comms box. Is there a particular game which you look back on and you think, you know what, looking back at the end of the day, I absolutely nailed that. <laughs> I, th I think that I can't, I honestly can't recall a particular moment that, 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 that I could answer that question with um, as, as a yes. I, I'm, I'm, I did bits and pieces in 2008 and nine, I think. I think it was, yeah, 2008 and nine, did bits and pieces in the summer of those years with Martin and with Chris. Um, I don't recall ever thinking, yeah, I've absolutely, yeah, absolutely nailed this. This is, this is where I belong. And I, I, I can't say that, that, uh, that feeling, I, I, ever, I, I can remember that. But I'd obviously felt comfortable enough because Chris uh, finished in 2009 and I well, obviously felt comfortable for that point to say to the sports editor, I'd love to do it. And I felt confident enough, having done the previous two summers and bits and pieces, um, that I felt like I could I could do it. And, and I absolutely loved it. I'd loved it when I was at 2BR. It was better. It was, it was different to covering football, but it was better. It was, I enjoyed it so much more than covering football. And having had a, a little bit of it in the summer in 2008 and 2009, I and then when Chris left, I was really keen to do it. Um, and thankfully, the sports editor uh, gave me that, that chance. But no, I don't really recall thinking, yeah, that's it. That's me. I've nailed something. No, not, not really. Uh, it's kind of gradually, slowly, bit by bit you start to think, I'm actually, maybe I'm not too bad at this. That, that, more that type of view than thinking I've, I've nailed it. I think maybe it's like, oh, isn't it? If you think you've cracked it and then you 
you you think that's it, then you end up getting found out again because you end up making mistakes and you come a bit a bit casual a little bit. So no, I don't really have one particular moment I can I can pinpoint. You know, that's a completely fair statement actually, because you're right, you can get complacent, can't you? So with anything in life, if you get a bit too comfortable and you think, you know what, I'm absolutely incredible at this. All it takes is one moment to to bring you back down to earth, I suppose, and all of a sudden you're questioning yourself again. So it is important to maintain that even keel and that perspective in your life. But you mentioned that era of Lancashire cricket, so 2008 and 2009, and that's the era where Lancs start to become resurgent, I would say, in the county circuit. Because in 2011, the unthinkable happens, doesn't it? Lancashire finally lift the county championship outright for the first time since 1934, a 77-year drought. Yes, they had shared the title in 1950, but that was a historic moment, wasn't it? And I've got to ask, Scott, was that season your favourite one so far, covering Lancashire County Cricket Club, or something else top that in the years that followed? Well, I don't know whether you've asked me this because you know you know what's coming or not, but um, this is um, <laughs> this is the season I missed covering Lancashire. 2010 was my first season covering Lancashire, and it was then decided because the the because the, 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 the role is shared with Radio Lancashire and Radio Manchester. It was then decided in the winter of that season that the sports editor, who's no longer at Radio Manchester, decided that um, in their wisdom that um, they that they they should have their own reporter doing it the following year, and that me and it was Liam Bradford who I get on with really well. Um, it was me and Liam, and me and Liam should rotate it year on year on year. So Liam did the 2011 title winning season. And then I hasn't done it since. I came back the following year and I've done it every single year since. So I, I missed out on 2011. I did do cricket matches through that summer, um, helping Liam out. But in terms of being the, the Lancashire cricket commentator, that glorious summer... That epic season when generations of Lancashire fans have, wait, have waited for the county championship title to be won. That moment did belong to Liam Bradford in the commentary box and not me. Well, to be honest, Scott, as you can probably tell, I didn't realise that. <laughs> yeah, well, they've, and they've, they've not really looked like winning it since. Well, they've come close a couple of times in the last couple of years, but... Um, so yeah, uh, Liam Bradford is a lucky charm. He's the one that that, that ended the, the drought, and I think he obviously thought that was such a pinnacle that he better jack it in because he never did it again. Fair enough, I suppose you can't really get any better than that, can you? <laughs> Ending the drought and and seeing the championship being lifted. But uh, I suppose with that in mind, then Scott, what do you say has been your highlight from your time covering Lancashire County Cricket Club? Then because yes, in recent years there haven't been as many trophies as let's say the nineteen nineties, for example, but. There's still been some great games. There's been some fantastic moments. Obviously, 2015 would have been a highlight as well with the T20 Blast. So what do you say has been the highlight from your time covering the Red Rose of Lancashire County Cricket Club? Yeah, I, I, I do have fond, fond memories of 2011 and I was able to, 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 get, to get involved, but I can't claim it as a season there. I covered, I covered Lancashire. Um, and they have, they have won the total amount of one trophy since which, as you mentioned, was 2015. Albeit, we can't rule out the, the Division Two title and that epic return back to the top flight under Dame, Vel under Dame Velas and he lifted the trophy on that beautiful summer's day. But no, I think the 2015 T20 season probably um, is, is a standout for, for, for a number of reasons. One, because 
I really, really enjoyed working with Ashley Giles. He was the head coach at Lancashire in that in that season. He he was brilliant. He was an absolute joy to work with, and um, I, I, it was it was just a really lovely year in terms of the players that you worked with. I got on uh, really well with 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 the senior players in the side in that in that T um, Twenty winning side, um, and to be there at finals day, and that was I mean, Lancashire seemed to be forever at finals day, and the, the, but that was still relatively new to me was finals day. So that but the excitement of being at finals day was was absolutely epic, um, and then to. It was such a, a glorious night. I remember it really vividly, actually. There was just the, the most beautiful sunset and the sky was absolutely... I've got a picture, actually, of it. Someone at the back of the Comptroller took a picture of me and Stephen Moore, who won the title with Lancashire, actually, in that season I missed. But he was my summariser uh, that, for, that, for that T20 finals day. And that was um, just the most fantastic um, day. Yeah, absolutely loved it. So that, that season definitely ranks as being right up there. I really actually enjoyed... 2021 season, when which is probably the nearest that Lancashire have come to winning the title since they won it. Um, Dame Villas won a match in Liverpool to beat um, Hampshire, and they thought they won the title that year. And he was brilliant, a, a fantastic captain for Lancs. So that was a, a standout year as well. But probably in terms of because of the, they won the trophy and be able to describe the moment that they, they, they lift the trophy at Edge Baston when the fireworks go off, probably 2015. That's a fair enough answer, isn't it? I mean, a great season for Langsons. That finals day was really interesting, wasn't it? Because on that day, you had two relative newcomers into the Lanks team and Gavin Griffiths and, and George Edwards, didn't you? I mean, it was a really interesting kind of scenario and, and situation that played out. So a memorable finals day, to say the very least, for Lanks. And you mentioned 2021. Scott, we have to talk about that game at Egberth because that was just insane, wasn't it? Let's face it. In what was a pretty chaotic and frenetic season by itself as if that wasn't enough super september rolls by and we get that game i mean what can you recall from that incredible encounter at egbeth cricket club um i recall being in um an old caravan broadcasting um with uh not much of a view and if you walked too far to the left the caravan went with you and if you walked too far to the right the caravan went with you that way. It wasn't really stable, that caravan. And it smelt a bit. But apart from that, the um the game itself, yeah, that was that was that was brilliant. I had a four four days with Kevin James, obviously follows Hampshire for Solent. Um they could have won it. They, they, had they won that match, they were they were champions. So in the end, Lancashire won the game and they 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 knew that had it was Somerset at Warwickshire, wasn't it? The following the following day, they knew that had that day game gone their way, they would have won the title. But of course, in the middle of all that, Hampshire knew that they won the match. That would have been enough for them that that day. So it was just this brilliant toing and froing of a team that both teams who felt that they that they're on the cusp of winning the title. Hampshire know, knew that had they won the match, they, they are champions. Lancashire know if they win the match, they've got a fantastic chance to do it. Should the result the day after go their way, so it was just a brilliant game that kind of went that went one way and then the other. We had brilliant interaction. Kevin on his email address, we were swamped by emails and and people listening, um, and obviously it was on the stream, so watching as well um, from all over the world. And it was 
he was inundated. I mean, I remember him messaging me maybe a, um, a few days later saying, I've still not got through the emails. We, st we, we, we couldn't get through the, the, the amount of emails that we're getting from people that were, that, were, that were joining it and being part of it. So I think it was the fact that both teams could have won the title. It, went, it looked like it was going to be Hampshire's. Then we had this fantastic finish that Lancashire won in the end. It was a brilliant four days. We were in a caravan. It smelt. You know, it was just, just, just memorable moments, really. You know, That's why we love county cricket, though, isn't it? You don't get that in the Premier League, do you? <laughs> you do you not. never hear a story like that. But talking to Kevin James, this is about this season, actually, Scott. And I'm sure you know exactly what I'm going to bring up. But would you say that he was involved in one of the, the funnier moments that you've had as a commentator for Lanx? Because obviously earlier this season... <laughs> You'll be able to tell this story a lot better than I can, but am I right in thinking that the the Lancashire players bought Mr. James a, a few ice creams? He got, he got a bit he got a bit grumpy, did Kevin? He did. He got a little bit grumpy. He didn't like it that, that the Lancashire players were having were enjoying some ice creams uh, on the <laughs> on the final day. So they were all and they would. I mean, I'm I'm sure they were just being very innocent and enjoying some ice creams, or maybe they were doing it on purpose to wind up the opposition. But they certainly wound up Kevin James. So he he was spotting that the Lancashire players were having uh, they were having some ice creams, and he, he mentioned this obviously on on commentary. And the cameras were were listening, and the directors picking it up. So thank the director film Luke Wood coming around the. Um, boundary edge with about six ice creams to go back to the dressing room, and all you could you could hear was Kevin chuntering away in the background about how oh, this is dreadful. Oh, if I was a Hampshire player now, oh, I'd be so upset. Blah, blah, blah. So he got a bit he got a bit grumpy, and then you're quite right. The me the message came through to, to to one of the media lot from Lanks to go to the ice cream van and buy him an ice cream and tell him to shut up. So he came back with two ice creams and. Uh, Kevin then tried to blame it all on me by saying that you should never have slagged him off in the first place, Scott. And obviously it was Kevin's doing. But um, yeah, that was quite funny. And the fact that the the Lanx players wanted to uh, <laughs> wanted to shut him up by buying him an ice cream was brilliant. Well, it was. And uh, I think judging by our reactions, you can probably tell it was one of the highlights of the season. Obviously <laughs> off-field. We've had a lot of on-field highlights, but goodness me, that was absolutely hilarious. The fact that you can still recall that all these weeks and all these months later, just it just goes to show it's an iconic piece from the 2023 <laughs> season. And yeah, you do have some funny things in in county cricket, don't you? I mean, would you say that is the funniest thing that's happened, Scott, or has there something else topped that? I suppose in your journey. <laughs> oh, God, how long have you got? Uh, there's lo there's loads of it. There's loads of funny things isn't there, in in county cricket. There's loads of magnificent things that you that you do to try and. Um, could just cover the games in particular. I mean, I've, I'll tell you a story about like early, oh, probably 2013, something like that, 12, 12 or 13. Lancashire played a game at Colwyn Bay against Glamorgan. And we, we have you, I don't know if you've been to Colwyn Bay or not, but it, it's the, the, the media tent is on the, on the little hill behind one of the, one of the ends of the ground. And behind that, there's some housing, there's some like bungalows behind that. So the BBC were paying this. <laughs> One of the one of the people that owned the one of these houses were paying paying this person some money to so we could use the electricity. So the, the it was cabled out from a kitchen window through a garden over a back fence and into the media tent, and we were all plugged into that. And obviously she was fine because she got a bit of money to cover the bill. Happy days, but we were like mid mid comment. 
mid-reports, end of one day's play, it was like half past six, quarter to seven. Maybe there was an agreement that the power stays on until six o'clock or something. Anyway, she unplugged it to do a hoovering and took us all off, took us all off, off, off air because, because she didn't plug the power. You know, there's all sorts of examples of wonderful things like that. You know, things being stuck up trees, PowerPoints, ISDN lines being stuck up a tree to try and, that you've got to try and dig out. Um, instance with the ice creams bizarre things that happen. you can never really be quite sure what's going to happen especially at an outground that's where all the chaos happens at outgrounds mainly so if you're at an outground you're likely to encounter something bizarre 100 percent always happens doesn't it i mean i think back to cheltenham in 2019 and uh, i think one of the ice cream vans at cheltenham actually ran out of calippo shots i'm not sure if <laughs> if you know what they are scott because some people don't Genuinely, I've asked people like this before. They are like these, I don't even know how you describe them. They're like little sorbet balls, I suppose. <laughs> but. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 the, if there's ones I'm thinking of, there's like a little thing at the bottom of an ice cream. Is that the same thing? Or am I thinking of something different? They're like little shots of ice lolly, I suppose. And they'd come out of like it. It was almost like cylindrical um, plastic tub yeah. that they're in. Yeah, like a, I used to they were quite tall with a, in a cardboard. Yes, kind of container is that the same thing? Yes, yes, right, they are okay. right. Yeah, so yeah. it's basically them but smaller, right? Okay, right. That's what they, that's exactly what they are. That's how Shudder describes it. But yeah, they they ran out of them, which was quite funny. Had a few cross people at the ice cream van in Cheltenham, but <laughs> outground cricket is just absolutely chaotic. But again, this is why we love county cricket. And my next question, Scott, actually is about broadcasting in the county championship because it, it's very unlike any other type of sport, isn't it? It's not like football. It's not like rugby. It's not like tennis, where everything is very frenetic. It's very fast-paced. It's very chaotic. In the championship, you have to do a lot of talking during a lot of pauses. So my, my question with regards to, to broadcasting in a championship setting is how does that differ from, let's say, a T20 blast match, which is very much just breakneck action, constant, over after over. You've got everything happening. You've got wickets, runs, sixes, great pieces of action in the field. How do you transition from county championship coverage to T20 blast coverage? Um, I, I, it can be quite tricky going the other way. So having done a month of T20 to then go back to championship cricket can, can just take a little bit of time to get back into the rhythms of doing that. Um, it, it, T20, going from a championship match to a T20 match, is just like, it's just like commenting on a football game, isn't it? as you say. It's just, it's just you've got no time for anything. You've got to describe where the ball is where it's been bashed to, how bad the ball is bowling, uh, as anyone caught it in the stand, or what's the score, by the way, uh, and th that that type of thing. And you, you're done and dusted within a couple, you know, within a few hours, and off you pop. So that is fine. I, you just kind of you just go head first into it. I don't I don't really do many um, stats for T20 games stuff like that because you, I just don't find you got find you got time to use them. You, you, and sometimes if you if you've done if you've taken the time to research it, you want to get it in, and so you end up shoehorning it in inappropriately sometimes. So I, I just describe you just describe what sees in front of you. The, the game speaks for itself. It's too quick for me to to, to dwell too much on the, the the finer details of someone's strike rate in t20 blast cricket you just you know you can introduce all that of course you can you know you, it, where it's possible but it is so quick so fast flowing it is like going back to do a football match and then there's a, a real sense of relief and calm when you return 
to the wonderful county championship because it's then back to a more gentle pace where you can go off on tangents you can get cross about being given an ice cream and you, you can do all that stuff you can complain about being in a wonky caravan and you can also talk about the cricket so yeah it it, it, it I, I don't find it too difficult to go from one to the other um in fact it's sometimes a relief to go back to, more often these are a relief to go back to county cricket having done t20 games because it's just well it's just more pleasant isn't it really <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a lot more relaxed, isn't it? You can take yeah. your time, as you said, you can have those tangents, those wonderfully weird and brilliant conversations which only the county championship can inspire. So I'm glad to hear that, Scott. And talking of the wonderful world of stats, Scott, before we get on to our concluding segments for today's episode of the podcast, one of the most famous statisticians in all the world crickets, Mr Andy Saltzman, is synonymous with Test Match Special isn't he? A, a very, very famous, iconic and remarkable programme, which listeners all over the world take great delight in, in listening to. And Mr. Reid, you've had the, the pleasure, haven't you, and the honour of, of working for Test Match Special. So in terms of that journey with TMS, which is one of the most iconic cricketing institutions worldwide, how did that opportunity first materialise itself? Well, that was... Uh... Adam Mountford, who's the producer, um, who uh, offered me the, 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 the chance to do some uh, games for him, which started doing, uh, I was doing some T20 Blast games. I think the, I think it was called TMS T20. They, they, they kind of went across and did all, picked out different T20 games, maybe going back to 2016 or 17, something like that. And he, he got me involved in doing, doing some of those T20 matches. Uh, and then the, the, the big opportunity came uh, in 2019, really, which was the, um, which was the, the, the World Cup and um, being able to be, to, to be a part of that um, uh, and having an opportunity to, to, to cover um, international cricket um, was, was, was pretty epic, really. They, I struggled it on. I mean, I, I'm not I'm an enormous social media person but i do i do have a twitter um handle and it's still tagged on the top of my twitter handle because the the bbc put together this little montage of uh, a video of the different commentators they were using in 2000 and um it would have been 19 i think um and i'm i was on it so that it, it, they, they did this little montage of this is our commentary team for the um the world cup of the champions trophy that year uh and this is who we're using and i was on that little one and a half minute montage of of commentators with some of like you know some of the game's great players and some of the game's great commentators and i, I he he gave me i think it was six or seven matches to come to, to commentate on i absolutely remember my first time i did it which was at edgebaston for pakistan against south africa and my first commentary stint was with uh graham smith um who I, I, I mean, obviously, most, I mean, he wasn't the most, the most elegant of batsmen, but he was just like ferocious batter, wasn't he? And captain for South Africa. And this big dominating figure. I mean, he's massive, physically huge man. And uh, when I looked at the um, commentary rotor that Adam had done, my first thing was with him. Was with him. And Dan Norcross was, was, was on commentary and he handed to me. 
and I sat down, put the headphones on, and I was, I was petrified, really. Um, but Graham Smith was lovely, uh, you know. He was such a nice, m- nice guy, and he uh, uh, and that was my first proper, my first international match. For, for, was was that was was that for, t- for Test match special? Um, and I I got a wicket in, in the first over. Um, in fact, I sat down. It might have been in the first ball or two, so you got no chance. You just couldn't get right in it, so there was no chance to really. Uh, let the nerves kick in because I put the headphones on and I said hello and I reminded everybody of the score and then within one or two balls there's a wicket so you just got to you just you just right into it then and actually in a way that was brilliant it was no it wasn't a slow passage of play it was something happening that you had to describe and I, that, that settled me down it helped that Graham Smith um, even though he was such a massive physical presence was such a gentle kind man and was so welcoming and so easy to work work with um, and then I've had, I, I, I do get opportunities to do some um, stuff with, with Test Match Special, and I've done a, quite a few things with them since. But every time I do get asked to do it, it is, as you'd expect, an absolute honour. You know, I mean, it's such a. I mean, going back to our conversation before about feeling like you're kind of a little bit out, <laughs> out of place or whatever. And I walk into the, the TMS box and you see people who are in there and. You see your name on a rotor, where that's for you know. And I've been really lucky to do to do international matches, to do England one day internationals, England T Twenty games, World Cup matches, Champions Trophy games. I've done, but every time you you, you get chance to do it, it is a absolute pincher moment, it really is. And I, I you know, it's a genuine. And it is obviously a bit cliche to say, it, but it is genuinely an absolute privilege to be in to be in that box and to have the chance to do it and you're just hoping that you don't let anybody down and you, you do a you do a good job um but yeah that's how it came about um adam f- initially offered me some some work and thankfully touch wood he he, he he still does put some games my way each each summer which is absolutely fantastic it certainly is, Scott, and to be honest it's thoroughly deserved as i said you are synonymous with with county cricket in particular lancashire I mean, I think a lot of people recognise your voice instantly whenever we talk about the Red Rose. And it is brilliant that you've had the opportunity to step into that Test Match special box and, and commentate on international cricket. And as I said, before we get on to our concluding segment, just one final question about Test Match special. What do you say has been your highlight? Would it have been that, that debut going out onto the mic and, and I suppose going straight into the thick of the action, judging by that description? Or has something else maybe surpassed that in the years that have followed? There's little individual moments that uh, that stand out, really. It's definitely covering for, maybe because obviously with Lancashire I'm doing it all the time and Test Match Special I, I I get asked to do it every now and again. Um, so the, 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 that that first moment will obviously will forever stick with me. Having as I just described a few minutes ago, having that wicked in the first two or three deliveries and then you're straight into it. I remember going to to Cardiff. I think this was Champions Trophy and. Uh, I watched Bangladesh win, and it was a it was a real upset. And I was commentating right at the very very end of their of of their innings, and um, and it was um, that was brilliant to, to do that. It was a a a, a, a shock result uh, that came from nowhere, and it was one of those that you didn't really see coming. And then quickly you realise, oh, actually, it's going to happen while I'm on. So you've got to get yourself into a position where you don't mess it up, basically, you know. And so then you become quite conscious of, of everything and wanting to make sure that you get you get across what's happening and, and try and put it into a sense of context. So that 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 win for Bangladesh in Cardiff stands out. 
and there's one or two individual moments uh, of, of covering in, in England matches. Um, certain wickets stand out. I've commentated on Chris Gale being dismissed at Old Trafford, caught by Bearstow at deep mid-wicket in a, in a match. And again, that was within two or three moments of me being on. You put the headphones on. Might have even been my first England match, that. And, you know, you are quite, <laughs> quite nervous. And you put your headphones on and straight away there's a wicket, but it, and it's Gale and it's caught, you know, you, so it's all that all wrapped up in it. So I remember that particular moment and it's one of those where I, I knew it was best though, but you don't want to, you don't want to get it wrong because you don't say it's someone and it doesn't, and it's not them, but I went with it because I was convinced it was best. So I, I was certain that's who it was and you, 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 you called it right. So that was, that was great. So yeah, it's one of those little, some, some of those individual moments um, do stick with me there's a really nice moment that stands out but actually it combines the two which was i was commentating in a on an england i think it was a t20 match in durham and james anderson was one of the summarizers and i did a bit of commentary you know, one of my stints was with him and james went to the same school as me he was in a couple of years above me um but so well and obviously worked with him from lancashire so it was absolutely you know thrilled to be working next to the brilliant jimmy anderson and then the very next commentary i did anderson played was playing for lancashire and he got his 1000th first class wicket so i'd gone from working with him about three days before doing an england match to then being at old trafford covering lancashire again and i was able to commentate on his 1000th first class wicket so that 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 stands out as being something that you know <laughs> going back to being at 2bi you didn't think i didn't think i was going to do that yeah, again, it, it goes on to that overarching theme that life's strange, isn't it? Who would have thought that you would have gone to the same school first and foremost as Jimmy Anderson, and then all those years later, you're working with him, and then he goes and takes his 1,000th first-class wicket. I mean, what a bowler. What a man. James Anderson, there is a reason he has an end named after him <laughs> at Old Trafford. I mean, goodness me, one of the greatest to ever do it, to say the least. I think that's an understatement, to be honest. He might be the best in some people's minds, but yeah, it's been some journey, hasn't it, Scott? And before I just go on to my last question of the podcast, which is quite a nice one, I think it's quite a, a lovely way to wrap up what's been a fascinating episode. You mentioned there those special moments, so the landmarks, the milestones in the game. And then, of course, you've got the big moments, haven't you? So the the victories, maybe your team lifting a trophy and celebrating this historic success. What is your favourite aspect of the art of sports broadcasting? What motivates Scott Reid to get up in the morning on a match day, pick up that microphone and cover Lancashire County Cricket Club? I tell you what, what, what motivates me now, and it's, it's, a, it's a fallout from COVID, because when we got cricket in 2020 in that Bob Willis trophy thing, that you know, we only, we only had a few, we only had a few games, but in that year we didn't. I didn't think we'd get any cricket. I thought there's no chance of a cricket season happening. And then right at the end of it, we got this little competition started and some T20 games. And but they were all behind closed doors, so there was there was obviously there's nobody in the ground. So you, and at that point was the start, the proper start of this of what Lancashire should do now on their t- streaming the Lancs TV stuff. So they that was the first time they properly kind of synced our commentary with their with their pitches. And it was done in a way that wasn't just, you know, a bit half-hearted. It was pro- proper investment by the club to do it to do it well. And the fact that that season, because as we know, following county cricket, how much this competition is cherished and loved. And it's cherished and loved by lots of people that can't get to grounds. We know that. And 
there's a much broader, bigger audience for county cricket than those that are able to get to each each day's play. But we know that those do get who do get to each day's play are massively loyal and love it. And they were unable to be at county cricket games that that season in that Bob Willis Trophy season. So they've gone through their winter build and and for most of of, of these of county cricket fans, the winter spent looking forward to the summer and the start of the season. So they've gone through that. Then COVID happens. And you've got all that horrificness in, in that first half of that year. And then cricket starts and then and cricket fans are not allowed to go and watch it. And being able to be in the ground in that particular year for that Bob Willis trophy, which was a bit kind of ridiculed a bit, you know, because of, of maybe just because of what it was at the time. But it was so privileged to be in that position. And it was so vital, I think, for uh, cricket lovers to have, even though they couldn't be there, to be able to access it either via the BBC Sport website and the app or via the live streaming and have our commentary part of it. And that was, that rammed home the importance of being able to be there for people that can't get to grounds. And on that occasion, it was people that, that would be at the grounds normally and they weren't allowed to be there. So having that privilege been able to, to bring to life the game that they loved, that they were missing and that would be, they were being denied and be able to describe it to them and to try and get them involved and to, to help them try and feel that they were there and watching it. That From that moment on, that reminds me of what the job's about because not everyone can be there. Thankfully now, those people, you know, people can be there, but still not everyone can get to cricket matches. So being able to to bring them a little flavour as to what the game's about, as to what county cricket's about, um, that now, um, probably more, well, definitely more so than before COVID, um, is front and centre. I think when you open the microphone, that you're you, you're you're privileged enough to privileged enough to be there when someone can't be there because they're working or they're doing something else and you can't get to the ground, but you're able to bring the game to them. That's that's the whole point of that's the whole point of us being there, really. It is, and it's such an important institution in the county circuit, isn't it? The BBC and local radio coverage, because I think back to years ago, and I think back to my first year supporting Warwickshire. Obviously, I was in school, right? And I should have been doing work, and in fairness, I did get, get good <laughs> grades. But at times, just listening to the radio commentary, in particular that 2012 season, right, for the Bears, which was massive. You know, that's the first time that I'd seen us lift the championship. Being able to have that connection to the club, even though you're not physically there. And nowadays I'm I'm there pretty much every single day in the summer. You can't you can't remove me. You need to get a crowbar. But the fact that you can have that connection, that bridge to your local club, even when you can't be there physically, is massive. And it is something important to to recognise and be aware of that even though the grounds aren't always full and you look at Edgebaston, you might look at Old Trafford for the county championship and there aren't, you know, sold out attendances. There aren't thousands of thousands of people there, but you look at the live stream figures. If we were able to look at the listenership base as well, it'd be in the thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. You know, county cricket means so much to so many people of all different age ranges. Everybody involved in in county cricket absolutely adores this sport. And I think that's a lovely reason to motivate yourself, Scott. It's the fact it does mean so much to people because if people were... I don't know, having a throwaway attitude to county cricket. They didn't particularly care. It didn't mean too much. I suppose the job wouldn't mean as much either. But it's the fact that people dedicate not just their summers, not just their days off, not just the times, even when they're working to this sport, but 
in a lot of people's cases, their entire lives to support in Lancashire or Warwickshire or Derbyshire or Glamorgan or Sussex, all of these 18 first-class counties, it does put an extra added layer of importance and meaning to the job. And I think that's absolutely wonderful to hear from someone so passionate about county cricket. And Scott, that brings me beautifully onto my final question for today's podcast in what's been a fascinating episode and a bumper episode of TCCP. But if you could go back in time, okay, and tell yourself at the age of 17, that Lancashire supporting up and coming Burnley commentator on the supporters bus, if you could go back in time and tell him a piece of advice, one key lesson that he can take forward with him on his broadcasting journey, what advice would you give to a 17-year-old Scott Reid? Um, perhaps <laughs> I would give my I would give myself probably the advice that um, <laughs> to, to have lightened up a little bit when I was a bit younger. Perhaps maybe I took it a little bit too seriously when I, when I was younger. I don't mean I don't mean that I I, um, I don't take it seriously now. Of course, I just just highlighted the reasons why I still do it. So I I feel like it's important. But I think sometimes if you're a young broadcaster, it can be um, it can be it can be everything to you, really, and you, you are better off sometimes. Kind of a little less is more, and 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 being a little bit more. It's easy to say be a bit more relaxed when, you, when you're a bit more experienced. Of course, it is, but to 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 be confident enough that if 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 you don't take it as seriously as you perhaps did when you were younger, um, and I think that 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 would that would help. I think a little bit. I think I was uh, going back to the, the commentary stints when I first started doing a Lancashire match and I was really nervous. I think I probably did maybe just was just overwhelmed by a little bit more. So the advice to myself would have been, and I'm actually quite a re- pretty relaxed type of person anyway, but my, my, my advice to myself would be just to, um, yeah, to, to, to take a little step back and to, uh, to not perhaps get wrapped up in, in, in it. Because I think it's a better listen, it's a better experience when you're more relaxed. It's supposed to be a conversation. You're in, you're in someone's car. You're, you're in someone's ear. You're in someone's front room. You're in someone's kitchen. That because people have got the radio on or they've got the TV on, and you don't want to be upsetting people by being all all wrapped up and all tense about it. You want to be relaxed um, because it sounds better. Um, so that's maybe the advice I'd, I'd give to myself. Um, in those younger days, I did take it a little bit. I was really quite passionate about about wanting to whether wanting to watch Lancashire win games, wanting to watch Burnley win games. And actually, the the job and the 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 the, the experience for those listening is better. I think when you're a little bit more um, relaxed and maybe less um, involved in the actual outcome. And you're just there to describe it, and 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 you're not taking uh, offence if the team that you're covering loses, or if the, or if something doesn't go your way with the with 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 that side that you're you're covering. That's maybe the advice I would give. But in saying that, maybe I would never got to you know never be at the position I'm at now without having that passion. So I've I've come full circle and taught myself out of it now, haven't I? Well, I still think it's a very valid point, to be honest, Scott, because as you said, it's those moments that we spoke about earlier, isn't it, with Kevin James and the ice cream. It's those moments where, you know, the electricity goes out in Colwyn Bay, or you've got that caravan in Egberth, and you've got all these funny stories. They are the ones which stick with you. And obviously those big moments, as well, you do have to take those seriously, obviously, because those are the moments that matter. 
right those are the moments which are in the job to do aren't they you know those those title winning moments those game defining moments and scenarios so yeah. I think that's quite a nice piece of advice, to be honest, and one that, to be honest, I think I'm going to take on board as well because, yeah, for as, as many people know, I'm a very passionate Warwickshire fan, but yeah, I suppose in commentary you do have to almost disassociate yourself, don't you, between the fan and the broadcaster because not everyone watching is going to be a fan of that county. So I think that's very sound advice, to be honest. Yeah, I think yeah, I think there's a, that's important to have that sense of separation but without wanting to give away the sense of passion and, and desire that, for, that, for that team to do well um the biggest piece of advice i would give um to to a, to to anybody kind of starting this or wanting to get into it and again this is entirely down to and it's not right or wrong but i wouldn't i would say make sure everything's natural don't i'm not a fan of writing things down i'm not a fan of trying to script things i'm not a fan of going into matches and thinking well if this happens this is what i'll say because it then sounds fake you want it to be natural and you back back yourself to to at that particular moment that you will say the right thing because if you if you do, if you don't believe you will and if you think that or oh, maybe i have to write down what i'm going to say if this happens then you're not got you're not got enough faith in yourself to be able to to believe that you can do it when it happens just so that, that again that's maybe I'm, I'm giving you another set of another bit of advice or people uh, listening another piece of advice but yeah that, uh, i think that's again maybe that's something i did i did write things down quite a bit i'm not saying it's wrong you can do it. i'm not saying it's a wrong thing to do and i know lots of professional broadcasters who are, who are far better than me who do write things down there's nothing wrong with that and nothing wrong with scripting and have an idea what you would say but i think these things are better when it's natural when it's relaxed and you just you're instinctive and you just describe what you see and and Back, your, back yourself to make sure you don't, you know, that you, you say the right thing and you put it into context and you call it right. I think it sounds better when it's natural. Maybe that's maybe that's the advice. It sounds better when it's natural. Well, I think, again, Scott, that is lovely advice. And it's just so interesting to hear that from someone who's been in the industry for so long. Because obviously everyone does have their different, you know, I suppose styles and techniques, don't they, for a broadcast. And that is something as well, which I suppose is almost a piece of advice. You have to find your own niche, don't you? Because one person's methodologies or style won't necessarily work for you you've got to carve out your own niche in the world of sports broadcasting but i think that's a lovely way to end the podcast be yourself just be natural because that is when the best commentary comes out isn't it whether it's cricket football tennis rugby golf whatever the sports i think fans connect with commentators who they can almost relate to and there is that sense of well they are almost a fan and they aren't taking this ridiculously seriously and we can almost relate to them in that sense too so Scott I think that is a wonderful place to wrap up what's been an absolutely magnificent episode of the County Cricket Podcast and before we say our final goodbyes for the episode do you have anything to plug or promote any social media channels websites businesses anything like that <laughs> no I'm not I'm not I've got no plugging to do no no it's all it's all good the only plugging got to do is to keep listening and watching the live cricket feeds and because long may that continue there's no certainty that it will so hopefully people still keep listening and 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 keep accessing what's on the live streams and on the the, the bbc website and stuff like that well i think that is a wonderful place to end then scott and i completely echo that sentiment to be honest support the counties where that is of course in the ground whether it's a case of of checking on the bbc website or crick info and just checking the scores and indeed just checking out the live streams the live streams are brilliant 
We're so, so lucky and fortunate to have those accessible for free. It's just offered a completely different dynamic to our experience as county cricket supporters. So, again, completely echo that. Just support county cricket, whether it's in the grounds or at home. Support the greatest thing ever invented. But that is it for myself and Scott for today's episode of the County Cricket Podcast. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.